You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today is going to be a little different show. It is both a treat and a detour. You know me as someone who typically focuses on, of course, all three Vs of the verbal, vocal, visual communications triangle, but more heavily leaning towards the verbal and the vocal. Today, we're going to hit the other triangle. We're going to take a little detour into the world of sports. And my guest today is somebody who has built the foundation of his entire brand and career on not speaking at all, though he will talk to us today. And trust me, there is a method to the madness. My guest today is none other than Dave Raymond. He is the creator and the original embodiment of the iconic mascot of the Philadelphia Phillies, the Philly Fanatic. Dave, welcome to the show today. Hi, Laura. It's great to be here. Hopefully, this will be a memorable detour. That's going to be my goal. Okay. So I don't know how it could not be. It's going to be a detour, but they'll remember it. It'll be fun. Yes, yes. And, and that's the whole key, right? It's fun. This is the core of your message. This is the, the reason the fanatic, the character of the fanatic, the personality of the fanatic was created. And this is really ultimately the thread that has linked your entire professional career, both in and out of the costume, of the mascot's costume itself from the beginning. I mean, you were the fanatic for 16 years, right? From 1978 to 1994. And since then, of course, a couple of other guys have taken over. And sure, let's say that they're as good as you are. I think you can never quite beat the original, personally. But the fanatic is an amazing character. But since then, you've also managed to leverage that experience into really an amazing entrepreneurial journey. You're an author. You've focused on sports entertainment and overall the power of fun, which now is the theme that you speak on, that you teach to business leaders, that you bring on the road, on stages, to conferences, to trainings all over the place. Take it from there. I mean, tell us how all this happened. What's interesting is that a career that started completely unknowingly and unwittingly, I you know, stumbled into the opportunity with the Phillies. And that had a lot to do with enlightened leadership over there. And, and many things that I picked up that I didn't realize, one, that I had skill sets to help me, or two, that I was learning things that would really help me become an entrepreneur. And 16 years of that magical, wonderful time, becoming more of a mascot for the city of Philadelphia than just for the Phillies and unifying that city you know, with the love and affection we have for our sports teams. It was a lever. And from there, I took what I learned and I, and I started to get involved with folks that wanted to create their own memorable branding element. We call it character branding. And we started that in 94. And Raymond Entertainment, when I went out on my own, I had partners at first and went out on my own in 2000 and created Raymond Entertainment. And, and we're focused on sports marketing, branding, and entertainment. And the levers that I learned about, you know, how good the fanatic was at being this wonderful living, breathing brand extension for the Phillies. That's what I was creating for, you know, all of my clients. And then they wanted to know more about it. They wanted to know, well, how can this help us? How can this help our employees? And I got into the world of team building and employee morale and retention. And that's where the message of the power of fun came from and wrote a book. And, and I just love this world of speaking because I get to 
exercise the performer in me that I did have to eventually give up because physically, like an athlete, you're unable to continue to do the work that I did in costume forever. Sure. And of course, now you get, as a speaker, you get to make up for 16 years of not getting to use your literal voice. She yeah. is. And you have to remind me to tell you the funny story about how my father was an integral part in all of that. Okay. When we got into the nonverbal and, you know, it's just been a magical run, you know, like anybody else's life. I've lived a long enough life where, you know, struggles and tragedy uh, come and knock on your door. But I think I was uniquely armed with this special super secret sauce to be able to overcome those. And that really is part of what the message of Powerful Fun is all about. So tell us a little bit about how you created the character of the fanatic, where this mascot came into being. And for those of you who uh, who don't know what, what the fanatic looks like, anybody out there, FYI, remember that this podcast is available both in audio and in video. I realize most of you are listening to audio, but go to my YouTube channel, look for the Speaking to Influence video YouTube channel and watch at least part of this chime in right now because Dave's holding up a little figurine of the fanatic himself. And if you don't know what he looks like, you really need to. Well, you know, he's a 300 pound green furry flightless bird that is a Darwin experiment that went wrong, created his species <laughs> in the wild, wonderful world of the Galapagos Islands. I swear to you, this is his backstory. And of course, the perfect representation for the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> I'll leave it at that because in the beginning, it wasn't the best idea on paper, but that was kind of the beauty of why it was so great because it's unique. And in this world of branding and entertainment, if you're unique and can celebrate that and you're fearless in how you deliver it, it can really turn into something special. And, and that's what the Phillies did. And I was there along for the ride in the beginning and, and it really was well done throughout from leadership down to my role. Everything was really done well because we were given the ability and the space to go ahead and figure it out because they really didn't know, you know, what we were doing yet and they allowed it to happen. Okay. How does this apply to leadership and communication? You mentioned the importance of knowing the audience. You knew the audience, you knew who they were, whether it was the, you know, 30-year-old guy who had a little too much liquid courage or somebody else, or if you're, I'm assuming that also translates to when the fanatic was coming to not just the stadium, but doing an event. They were at a fundraiser or at a corporate dinner of some sort to, you know, whose buttons do you push and how. Talk to me about not just the importance of knowing the audience, but how to leverage that. Well, this knowledge is critical. And it takes work. In the virtual world that we've been shoved into because of the pandemic, there's been so many wonderful discoveries. In this day and age, and I tell young people like this that are interested in building a career is, you know, anytime you're going to talk to somebody, go to the LinkedIn profile and find out who they are, where they went to school, what motivates them, what they would potentially be excited about, because there is a lot of really valuable information from a sales, marketing, or just a communication standpoint to get to know them. Because communication really is not about speaking, it's about, you know, asking a question and listening and learning and then acting on what it is that they're talking about, mirroring that conversation, both verbally and nonverbal. All these things are part of what I would do when I was asked to go work an event. Are there kids there? Are there adults? Are there just adults and just kids? Are there families? What's the age group of the kids? Am I going to a high school or am I going to elementary school? And again, I could have been asleep in costume and work in elementary school program because <laughs> you show up and go like this oh, and the kids are crazy. And then Quick they have a little wave and that's all you need to the do. The vice principal has to come in with whatever the, whatever the nonverbal the time is that they ask you to do. Right? Yeah. So there, that's easy. Um, I really took great pride in working an adult crowd and making them, you know, excited and entertaining them. Now, Laura, I worked funerals before wow. where the fanatic was invited to a funeral. Now, 
I wasn't there during the service. But, you know, so that type of interaction is going to be different than when I would go to a bachelor party or a party for retirement or a bachelorette party. Those two parties are different. And then to do it in a way that's G-rated, that's right. all of that I needed to really weigh into the formula in my head was, okay, what type of movement I'm going to do? What type of music? What type of dance? You know, the audio quality of where I'm going to be. And that took a lot of work. Every time I saw, back in those days, we had a confirmation on a sheet of paper. I didn't have GPS. I had those big booklets of maps that showed us how to get all over the Delaware sure. Valley. Yes. But I would, you know, I would find out on in some type of document about the company, about the people I was going to see. And then I would be talking to the people that were running the event, say, what's the outcome when it was a perfect event? What are you feeling like and why did it happen? And then, you know, I try to fit in with that. And, and I think from a leadership standpoint, understanding that the tone, the atmosphere, the people that are going to be there, how they got there that day, what's going on in their heads. So if they're your employees, you have a sense of some of that. But you got to do some intel. You got to talk to somebody and say, how are you feeling? What's going on? And in this world, you can do that a lot by just going online and picking it out. And so that's something that I took into my entrepreneurial path that made me exceptionally good at what I was trying to do. But I also learned some valuable lessons early on because as the fanatic, everybody wanted to talk to me. Everybody wanted to listen to me. So mm. when I got in a couple of my first sales meetings with my partner, who had been in this business before, after one of the meetings, a good friend of mine, he says, David, you just have to shut up. You're starting to tell them everything that they need to know. We don't even know who they are. We haven't had a chance to get them to talk. And, mm. and I realized, hey, I've come from an area where I was always telling stories. People were asking me to share. Yeah. And of course, that felt really good, right? And so I started to realize that feels good to the people that you're allowing that time to ask. And this is you know, getting to know about who you were going to be meeting with. You had shared with me previously that it wasn't always easy and comfortable and fully confident. And it's the concept of the imposter syndrome. And you, you had shared with me that that was a part of your journey as well. How did, where did it come from and how did you overcome it? I think I was a frustrated performer all along, but I get into this job with all these eyeballs and what I felt was a great deal of stress and pressure to do well. And I had no idea who I was portraying and I had no idea what skill sets that I had. So it was constant. And all I was thinking about was, I can't let anybody else get in this costume because they'll see that just anybody can do this. And at the time I started to get paid really good money, more than I would have been to be a teacher or a coach in an early part of my career. And the pressure even increased. I'm like, and I had a couple of backups, but I didn't want to use them. And I was beating myself up physically and mentally because I was afraid they'd find me out that, oh, we don't need to pay Dave. Anybody can do this. And it took me, I mean, I just turned 66, Laura, I'll share. And it wasn't until 58, 59 that I started to really have confidence that I had some great abilities that were, wow. that were responsible for the Fanatic's success. People would you know, say, oh, you're the greatest. It was a great, you're the goat, the mascot, the best mascot in the history. And I go, well, you know, I, I had a lot of help. And then I would have people around me that loved me and cared me but say, wait a minute, David, you got to give yourself credit. Oh, well, they love me. So they need to say that. And it, it wasn't until I, I worked with Michael Port from Heroic Public Speaking and he was doing this laser coaching mm -hmm. and I was up on stage to give them five minutes of my speech. And he, he said, does anybody know the fanatic around here? And half the room raised their hands. These are people from all over the world, speakers and business leaders, people mm -hmm. that were working on their presentation skills. And he said, well, this guy, Dave was the original Philly fanatic. And he turned around, and started to walk to the back of the room where he was going to coach me. And I said, yeah, yeah, well, but you know, there were a lot of people there that, and he stopped, spun around on a dime, ran right to the front of the stage and said, hey, 
did you not do that? And everyone was quiet. I got embarrassed and went, uh, well, yes. He goes, well, then own that, own that. Turn around, walk back. And I'm like, whoa, mm. okay. This is a guy who knows about performance and understands it. And he was giving me the permission to take credit. That was huge. And that was only four years ago. Wow. So it's very powerful. And you can still be a top performer and consistently have this voice nag at you. And it is definitely lim limiting you from being even better. But you can be at the highest level of your field and still have this voice constantly pounding away. And I found a path for myself to overcome that, but it took me a long time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want people out there to, if you're putting pieces together or if you haven't, for that matter, to do that math that that's, if you stopped, if you turned in the costume, as it were, you t passed on the torch and the head and all that kind of stuff to the next person in 1994. But it was only four years ago when you finally had that aha light bulb moment of, I have to get over this imposter syndrome. I should be able to own what I've achieved and be proud of my accomplishments and not just dismiss, dismiss or assume it's not, which is not to say to be arrogant, right? There's a lot of gray between not being proud of what I have achieved, not taking credit versus stealing credit from everybody else, not giving credit where credit is due, completely being arrogant and assuming that the world revolves around you. There's a whole lot in between there. And we're not trying to get anywhere close to that other extreme. But to say, no, I did this. I am proud. Sure, I had help. Look, nobody works in, in complete isolation that way. But it still, in the end, was me. I built the character. You know, I did all this 16 years that's amazing work. So it was 25 years plus between when you hung up the suit and went, oh, yeah, I guess I really did do that. And, and I don't need to apologize for it. And I can take credit for it. And I can be proud of it without feeling like I'm trying to be too much or too proud of myself. Like, that's amazing. Everybody out there realize, here's a hint, don't take 25 years. Learn from Dave and be able to take stock of what you've done and be proud of who you are. Be proud of what you've accomplished. Be able to state it in a way that owns it without sounding arrogant. And that's a really tough challenge. And it's something I work with a lot of my clients on, finding that balance between confident authority and recognizing where you do deserve credit, being able to advocate for yourself in a way that shows confidence without crossing that line into arrogance mm. and of course, or bragging or any of those things. And there's cultural elements involved. Who's your audience? What country are you in? What language are you speaking in? The notion of confidence versus arrogance versus humility versus self-effacing versus whatever, all those things do have cultural hues to them, but whatever language, culture, mindset, et cetera, you're in, own what you have achieved and don't apologize for it. All right, there's my soapbox for the day. Look, thank you. That was wonderful to hear. And I'll tell you, the struggle is, and I think we'd all agree that humility is an important attribute to have as a great leader. And the antithesis of humility is this belief that you are really special, that you have special talent, that you have a special ability. And those two compete against each other. But you can have both. You can lead with grace and be both yes. humble and also to be able to give you the credit for the skills that you have that are making you a great and better leader. That's why you're, you know, you're going to go through it. Like I, I discovered my nonverbal skill had to do with the fact that my, my mother went deaf when I was three. So she mm. went from a hearing woman to a deaf woman. And so from the age of three, a time that I can't remember, all I was doing was trying to get in front of my mother, my mother to get her attention. Mm. What is more important than a three, four, five, 
six-year-old boy than to get her mother. 18-year-old, 27-year-old. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's when she would turn her hearing aid off, Laura. <laughs> would, I'd start to ask why I wasn't getting the car on Friday night because whatever I did wasn't that bad. And she would, I'd start to argue. She Because she would have the old Belltel hearing aid clipped to her bra with an earpiece in. And she, I get all animated, you know, start working all that nonverbal skills that I'd worked on since I was three. And she'd go, click, and then turn around <laughs> and walk away. And I'd say that's where the fanatics personality was really born. I give my mom credit because that's when I really got frenetically animated because I knew she couldn't hear me. So I had to really get her to know nonverbally how frustrated I was that she walked away from me. So that skill set became a real light bulb that went off in my head. And I and my mom passed away from brain cancer at the age of 59. And I was going mm. through horrific life challenges that time for, I had a marriage that was falling apart at the same time. And, and it was the fanatics personality that gave me that ability to overcome that challenge. But it also made me very introspective about what was happening and why I was actually able to go through my mother's suffering and passing and feel pretty good about it. One, because I had the time to be with her, but also I felt emotionally comfortable yeah, there were ups and downs. And there was a time before I got there that I really thought I was going to make some bad decisions. But the fanatics distraction, I, you know, it's a distracting power of fun is very valuable. It, you know, I had something that put me in a flow state and took me away from it for a few hours. And then I would get back to the challenge I was in. So those are two really important skill sets that I learned. One was my nonverbal ability was surgically trained and practiced for, you know, since I was three. So that's something that not a lot of people had. And then my ability to understand the power of being able to get inside another personality for a few hours to be able to relieve the pressure was like in Dave Raymond's world, but not in the fanatics world. Sure. And, and how do we apply that when you don't have a personality to disappear into? Is That's all what the power of fun is about. And that was the genesis of the power of fun process was me overcoming that, you know, finding the skill set was because of my mom and then losing my mom, mm. you know, long before we all wanted to say goodbye to her. And amazing woman, you know, we stood on some giant shoulders of a little tiny woman from Flint, Michigan, or Susie, as my dad used to call her, was um, was really at the core of all of this, me starting to realize that I was talented in a way that others weren't. And I was blessed with that talent and I should go use it and continue to connect to people on an emotional level, which is really what yes. why the fanatic was so great. What a beautiful gift she gave you. What a beautiful gift from early on right until the end, how it sort of all came full circle that way. You referenced just there at the end that the, the power of fun and the importance of that in leadership. Can you so bring us to the present now? What is it about the brand, the power of fun? And when you're talking to business leaders, what's the connection? Where are you bringing it together as a leadership skill? That's such a great idea and a great lead in to the concept of what are we telling leaders? The first thing I tell leaders is the word fun, the fun that we all know, which as soon as somebody hears me saying fun, what do you do for fun? There's all kinds of images. And, and generally, it's off time, vacation time with you know our family, friends, and we're going and, and doing things and eating food and eating too much food and really enjoying ourselves in off time. And I go, that's not the fun that we're talking about. My job with leaders is to take them from the fun that they know into an unknown commodity of powerful fun. Mm. And there is a, there's a process. I've actually built a contextual model for this, which is great for leadership because they, yes. they get to see it in a way that their whole life is surrounded by. What does powerful fun mean? Tell me what that means. So powerful fun is fun that can change the world, can make the world a better place, can make a family a better family. Those families make businesses better. Those businesses make communities better. 
And in and of itself, it just means this fun is something that is innovated and designed. There's design thinking and innovation that goes into developing fun specific to the environment and the need. So when the fanatic performed at a funeral, the design thinking I was doing was who's going to be there, where their mental state is going to be, who is the person that they're celebrating, what life did they live, and pull from those authentic pieces to put together a performance that in the case of a funeral, I was meant to get them to smile and to laugh because that is part of all times that we are celebrating somebody's life is doing remember those times. And most of the time I was being invited because that person that had passed was a huge Phillies fan or a big fanatic fan. So that is design thinking. You have to do work. If I was going to a fashion show, you know, and I'd have to talk to the leader of the fashion show, they wouldn't want me to go up on the runway because you may knock the models off. And I'll say, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that would be bad. Yes. Yeah. And I'll say, wait, I've done this before. I've worked in this. Let me tell you what I'll do when I get up on, when I'm going to get up on the runway, who I'm going to work with and what the ROI will be for your audience. Mm. Well, then once I told them that and they, they recognized that I was serious about this, I wasn't just somebody in a costume right, that was a bull in a china shop. Off. Right. I could be managed and I understood how to make their event better. They were all in. No, wait, no, okay, don't just gloss over this. Now I'm really curious. Okay, so you're sitting there in New York Fashion Week and or whatever fashion week it is, and you've got models on the runway are trying not to knock them off with the giant circumference of this costume, et cetera. But you mentioned ROI. And I think everybody out there who's in the business world, their ears just perked up like, wait, I understand that term. Power fun, not sure yet. We're going to come back to that. But what is the ROI of having the fanatic on the runway with the models? Well, I would explain to them that I would do it in a break between the, you know, fashion shows will go where there'll be a group of models to come out with a certain type of wear that the designer wants you to see in that group, those type of models. Mm -hmm. There's also a break and there's a small break. So let me come out right at the end of one of those. And I'm going to I'm going to entertain the folks by pretending as if I'm one of these little tiny models and I'll grab a hat, whatever prop you want, and I'll have fun with that. And the folks will want to take pictures. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to just jump right off the runway and move through the crowd and get ready for the next set. So you give me a little bit of an interstitial between what you would normally do. You'd bring out the men or the next set faster than this one. Give me about a minute. And then what's going to happen is everyone's going to have fun. They're going to enjoy, going to take pictures, and then I'll get out of the way. And then I'll let the models do what you want them to do. At the end, people were saying, this was the most surprising fashion show I've ever been to. This was great. I never knew the Fanatic could be such a great runway model. And they were leaving with a better impression of that show because they got a little bit of value-added dose of entertainment and fun. And one yes. that they could share with anybody outside of the fashion community. And each piece of ROI, Laura, is different because that's where powerful fun is. There's a doing gap between known fun and unknown fun. And the doing gap is the work that you're going to do. And, and all that contextual model does is say, listen, this is a lot of work. You put serious in front of the word fun, and it will get you in the mindset of what we're doing. That We're very serious about this. We're professional. We work really hard at this. And if you give us a little bit of room to describe what we're trying to do, then you're going to have a good idea because you know your environment even better than I do. And together yes. we'll come up with something that even I wasn't thinking about because you know your group. And that's what we're telling, you know, leaders need to understand that the powerful fund is a one of your pillars, one of your core values that you build your entire business on. And it needs to be respected and it needs to be valued just like all of those others, which are ROI, spreadsheets, numbers, finances, all of those things are, you know, showing up on time prepared, you know, all of those things basics are basics. But this is one of the pillars that every time you get ready to 
put together a new initiative, you're going to ask, how is Powerful Fun helping us here? And that's what we did with the Fanatic inside the Phillies. When I would go to corporate sales and they were selling, you know, suites and specialty seats and events and entertainment at the ballpark. And I would go and say, how do you want to use the Fanatic? I don't know. What do you mean? <laughs> well, I can, I can have a uh, graphic design created for you that's suggestive of the Fanatic walking into your environment. You know, yes, we could have a live appearance, but here's some messaging. Here's, here's a contest that you could use where it's all, you know, developed with imagery of the fanatic and being in the fanatics world. Let me just interrupt here for a second, because I can, I can imagine a lot of my audience having suddenly the split brain experience where half of their brain is just listening for pure entertainment going, that'd be so much fun. I wish I was there. I wish my meetings were like that. That'd be so great to have the fanatic show up. I would love to do. And then the other half going, I'm an accountant. I work for a corporation X. We have Monday morning weekly update meetings. I go through the PL status update and uh what I mean fun. Hmm. How where does it so make the connection yep. so that there's not that line that says that would be great in your world, but it's not my world. So thanks for talking to us, Dave. It was a cute story, but there's nothing relevant for me here. Bust that myth, please. Okay. So I'd first go wrong <laughs> because, you know, I'm not doing it. Like when I, I show up to develop a character brand for an organization, they say, what's it going to be, Dave? And I said, I don't know. And they go, well, we just hired you to do that. I said, no, you hired me to show you a process that's been proven to work. So with this accounting firm, I would say, we're not, you know, look, we could bring in the fanatic at your year end celebration. That might work, but it won't work until we find out who you are, what's authentic to you, what's the normal daily operation look like. And by the way, now that you have a chance to be heard, what would make your office space, your work or anything that you're doing a little bit more enjoyable for you? That's the first step is talk to your people and say, look, we know that we're in the world of accounting and we know that our clients expect seriousness from us. Well, I would submit that you can be much better at your financial acumen if you were enjoying your space and your time getting ready, getting the documents ready to present to your client. And you even may find a way that when you present these documents to a client, you can entertain them while you do it. But it's not entertaining them in the way the fanatic entertains. That's our biggest problem. Oh, he's a fanatic. He's going to come in and it'll be mayhem and he's a bull in the china shop. And no, no, no. We're going to figure out who you are. What's your DNA? How does your office work? What's great output? What's your biggest ROI? And then let's figure out how we weave in a thread of powerful fun throughout what you do. And I'll give you a very simple one, Laura, that works anywhere. From now on, when that accountant sits down with his client who might be stressed because of the tax year and come in with a mood that's distressed or depressed, and the first question the accountant should ask is, hey, tell me something good. Tell me something mm. good. And you'll confuse them. I'll go, what do you mean? It's well, personal, professionally, tell me something good. And then they'll think, because they got to click off the negative brain bias that doesn't allow us to focus on things that are fun or positive. And then they'll answer it in a way that will start the communication off. You know, some storytelling might ensue and people will smile. They may not laugh, but they'll smile and suddenly the mood is lighter. And then he can come in with, he or she can come with, and I have some good news about this tax year that you might not have been thinking about. Because there's always something there yes. and you have to condition. That's powerful fun. It has nothing to do with the fanatic. Yes. It's not a whoopee cushion. It's not a buzz ring. <laughs> it, you know, that's the problem. That's known fun. We go right there. Well, it's not going to work here because we're accountants. We're serious. Do you know how important our work is? And by the way, we're not picking on accountants. We love accountants. We need accountants, all that. We've worked for them. We've worked for accountants. We've worked for lawyers. Sure. They just tend to be the ones who will be the 
quickest to dismiss or to denigrate themselves with the qualifier. I'm just an accountant. So yes, cannot yes. tell you how many accountants I've worked with on networking and other skills. All you have to do is watch the movie, The Accountant with Ben Affleck, and you won't think of accountants in the in the normal <laughs> way anymore. But I love the, the where you have taken that though, because even I want people to understand, we've talked on the show and I, I've worked with a lot of clients on the concept of charisma. And that is a terrifying word for a lot of people because it's almost like you have to be a televangelist or melodramatic or larger than life. And look, I'm not an actor. I'm a linguist. I'm a teacher. That's my world. I'm, I'm an accidental entrepreneur, but I'm not an actor the way that you are. But charisma is really just about that what is it about you? What is it about some part of you that when it shows up, other people just want to be around you? There's that natural magnetism. It can be soft-spoken. It can be subtle and very tactful. It does not have to be whoopee cushion and buzzer ring and, you know, squirting flower and tap dancing and all that kind of stuff. So just the ability to sit down with a client who's stressed out about whatever else and to smile and say to them, before we start, tell me something good. Just and, and then I'll share one, too. And then we'll go with this, that icebreaker that just puts people at ease, that helps them feel connected to you, makes people smile. There is charisma in that. Mm. So figure out where you can tap into it. And that can be your onboard to whatever version of fun you want to do. It's just but move the needle, move the needle somewhere. This one that I gave you is we've had universal, amazing feedback. When I first started doing this, it was just a way for me to do something on stage to demonstrate the negative brain bias. I'd bring somebody up on stage and say, I'm going to ask you a simple, I'm going to give you a simple directive and I just want you to respond. Tell me something good. And they, they both verbally and non-verbally pause, you know, lean back and say, yes. but these are, these are the little exercises that we use in our power of fun training. Another one is show me the lock screen on your phone, if you don't mind. Mm. And it's always something that is connected to a moment of joy. Yes. And you say, well, tell me, tell me about that picture. So these are things that, uh, you know, I've engaged virtual audiences with these types of exercises as well in a, in a way to engage them. And the first thing you have to do is value this ability for you to make people smile. If I could give you techniques that would make almost anybody, anytime when they get in front of you, that within a few seconds, you can make them smile, the value there, that's physical, mental, and emotional connections that you make immediately by making somebody smile. And again, and by the way, it could be a buzzer ring or a squirt flower because the design work that you've done, the innovative work you've done to get the powerful fun suggests that a squirting flower is the perfect thing for this group. So it can work like a cycle. My contextual model can be a cycle. We can start over there. We may get back there, but it's a surprise party for, you know, a 90-year-old woman who's raised, you know, 15 kids and the first kids in her generation that went to college and we're celebrating all those things and we're going to give her a surprise birthday party, there's probably going to be some silliness in there. You know, a blast from the past song, a photograph of her in her 20s. You know, those are the things that if you want to have the best surprise birthday party, you want to work on powerful fun. You want to, hey, all the, the same thing you expect at a surprise party, but this is who we're working for. And how are, you know, we're not going to tell Johnny because Johnny always ruins the surprise. So <laughs> the number one in the design thing is no one tells Johnny because it's over. Right. If we tell, and you do hard work, just like imagine planning a wedding, the, the, the wonderful work that great wedding planners do because they've seen it all, they've done it all. So they get to know their clients and say, I really think that this is the theme. And they start on a theme and they pull it out so that when people leave that wedding, they go, wow, 
I've never been to a wedding like that before. All the things that we hated about weddings were taken out. All the good things were put in. And, and I just got to know the bride and groom so well. It was wonderful. So, you know, I just, we have to stop focusing on fun, which is ironic since my whole message is the power of fun. But it is a different type of fun. It's my job when I present and when we teach our students is that it's a different way of thinking. We have to change your mindset and remove move you from known fun to powerful fun. And, and leadership eats that up because they do have, I'd like to say that there should never have to have an ROI for investing in fun. You just need to believe and value it. Yes. But you're not going to win that, that way. You have to show them why and then let them go off and develop the fun that works for them, their employees, and make them you know, enlightened leadership. That's really what I was lucky to have with the Phillies and enlightened leaders are rare. Dave, you have, first of all, this has been amazing. You told us that you have a gift that you'd like to give our audience. What is that free gift? Well, I'd love to give them a free chapter of The Power of Fun, which um, I don't sell it on Amazon. Jeff didn't need any more of my money. It's only sold on our website. And I want to give you a free chapter so that you can trust me that you'll enjoy the book. And to get that chapter, just to go to Dave Raymond Speaks and you can click on newsletter and put your email in there and you'll automatically get a, a free chapter. And then as a bonus, you will get uh, our newsletter that only comes in your inbox once a month, 5.30, the last Friday of every month. And it isn't a sales sheet. It's all about the tips, tricks, and hacks that you can use daily to build on sustainable happiness. What a beautiful way to end the month and to end the interview for that matter. So this is, I have had a great time. I hope you've had fun. I hope everybody out there has had fun listening. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dave. It's my pleasure, Laura. And you're really good at what you do. Aren't you sweet? This isn't easy. So that's why we had a good time because you directed it. So thank you. Went right to my heart. Thank you. And to everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on whatever is your platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.